Hey everyone, welcome to the Holy Shift Podcast, a podcast designed to shift how we see everything. I'm Scott Neal, your host and pastor of Forest Park Church in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and I'm glad you are along for the ride today. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you about what we're about. I sit down with pastors, leaders, authors, therapists, anybody who is in the business of helping shift the way we think and help change our mind. And I'm especially excited about today's guest. I'm talking to author, church planner, radical dispenser of God's grace, and pastor, Tullian Chavijan. About 12 years ago, Tullian came into my life. I began to read his material, began to listen to his messages, and I've stayed with Tullian over the last 12 years, learning from him, growing from him. And he is an incredible guest. This is the second time I've actually had him on my podcast, and I can't wait for the third time. Every single time I talk to him, I come away better than I was before. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you get ready to get into this podcast, you need to be ready. Why? Because talking with Tullian is like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. He is loaded with information, ideas, excitement. When you get finished with today's episode, you are going to be encouraged. You're going to be challenged. Hopefully, you you won't be the same. Because he has a way, Tullian has a way of shifting how we see everything. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this interview with Tullian Chavijan. I didn't know if this was going to be like, I'm like, so I was like, if this is going to be videoed, I should probably, you know, no, be man, a little that's bit perfect. more presentable. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I'm just, gl- I'm just glad you're here, man. I am too. <laughs> so how have you been? I've been great. Have yeah, you? Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a tough uh, couple of years, yeah, which I'm, which I'm going to get into in a little bit, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I think overall I'm doing okay. And uh, just kind of learning and growing and doing the best we can here. So, hey, uh, go ahead. How's Florida? Man, I mean, (laughs) today, I'll tell you exactly. Okay, today it is, I mean, it's gorgeous out. It's it's beautiful every day. But today, especially, it's uh, 81. There's not a cloud in the sky. The humidity is low and it's just breezy. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love it. We, uh, Jupiter is about 45 minutes north of where I come from in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. So it's familiar, but at the same time, unfamiliar. So it's, it's still new to me, right. uh, but it's got all of the things about South Florida that I love. So it's Absolutely. been, uh, yeah, we love it. There's, I have zero complaints about where we live. <laughs> That's good. Hey, a few years ago, my wife and I got a chance to go to Jupiter and we performed a wedding down there with some friends that used to attend our church and got transferred to Florida. Okay. So it was before you started your church and yeah. we just, man, it was just gorgeous. gorgeous. I remember what time so of well. year? Oh, what it was probably year? February when we went. Okay. Down. So yeah, it's so, nice. I mean, it's yeah, warm it was and- still beautiful because it was cold <laughs> yeah. here. So yeah. we got a chance to fly there and it was, it was great. So yeah, we had such awesome. a good time. Well, Hey, I want to, I want to move into this, uh, just the time with you. And first yeah. of all, how, how's your lovely wife, Stacy doing? She's doing great. She would have been great. sort of sneaking around in the background, yeah. but she had a lunch meeting to go to. Oh yeah. But I'll she wanted what. me to tell you, she wanted me to tell you that she says hello. Oh good. And that the next time I make a trip up there, she is absolutely going to be oh, in well, tow. We'd, we would love to have her. She's a yeah. gift to you. She is and, a massive yeah. gift to me. Because yeah, I see huge. how she does the uh, virtual lobbies. Oh man! And you know, and then she can speak for you as well. She's uh, she can, <laughs> which is huge, man. Yeah. In I fact, mean, I think the first time she spoke for you was, was when, when you I came was with here. you. That's right. I said yeah. that yesterday yeah. at church. Yeah. I said the first time I met Bill was two years ago, almost to the day yeah. when I went to go uh, preach at my friend Scott's church. Yeah. And I said it was that. I said our church was maybe only a month old at that point. I said, and that was the first Sunday that Stacy right. preached in her life. Um, yeah. So she's done it a few more times since then, but she, she's doing really well. What about That's your family? Great. They're doing really well. I've Good. got, um, I got my son. He moved to, he was uh, here for a while. He went to Anderson, South Carolina, went okay. to New Spring College there, right. left there, went to Michigan, was a okay. youth pastor there. And then that was where he was when I that, was with okay. you, I think. Well, he, yeah. he left there and has okay. gone now to Corpus Christi, Texas, okay. to uh, Church Unlimited with Bill Cornelius. Okay. And he's a youth, uh, now he's the operations pastor there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, so he's, uh, he's, he's, 
loving it. He's enjoying Good. Texas. Uh, he misses home. Yeah. You know, he, he's he's a family boy. He loves yeah. being here in North Carolina with his yeah. mom and dad and yeah. sisters and all that. But he's having a great time there. Good, so he's Good for it. him. Anyway, my other two daughters are here in Elizabeth City. Yeah. One is on our worship team, has yeah. a uh, has a one-and-a-half-year-old. And then we she, have, I met her. She, I met her, but she, right. the one and a half year old, was not. She was pregnant. That's with the one right. And a half year that's old. right. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. my other daughter, my youngest daughter, is also here, and she has a two and a half year old. So uh, we're having a blessing. I, you, I'm sure you probably met her. We uh, had the, maybe. we had lunch at that place. What was that place? Yeah. It was like a house. Yeah. Oh, that was at uh, yeah Montero's. Yeah. Montero's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And right. I don't remember yeah. if both of them. were I don't there know if just... she was there or not. Okay. I don't remember. But okay. uh, they both have supplied us with two wonderful grandsons. Yeah, that's awesome. And we're having that's the we're best. having a blast with them. Yeah. So. <laughs> good. <laughs> that's good, always good, fun. Man. Yeah. Good. So you've you've had a busy day today. So far, yeah. We yeah. just moved our staff meetings from Tuesday to Monday because uh, one of our ladies uh, was going to start having a conflict in November on uh tuesdays and then we just brought on an intern uh who works all week at a different place but she's off on mondays so it suited them so it's a little bit you know i kind of i used my my uh schedule used to be that from sunday from the moment church was over on sunday until tuesday was like my sort of clock out time right right so it's a little bit of a quick turnaround for me i've kind of now tuesdays kind of like what my monday used to be but it's you know it's okay it's fine sure sure. yeah we have a very small operation here with a very small staff so it's easily maintainable but right well hey hey, listen before i get into uh just a few questions for you and just kind of learn learn from you i got i got a quick confession i've got to give you okay i don't know if i told you this last time i don't think i did if i did bear with me because there'll be some (laughs) audience members that hadn't heard it i gotta tell i gotta tell you how i first came across you Okay. Okay. This was probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago or so. I don't even remember when it was exactly, but we were here. We had been here for a few years and I kept seeing your name come across a quote by you or something on Twitter more than likely. Somebody put your your name out. I had never heard of you, did not know anything about you. And I saw your first name as Tullian and then your last name. I had no idea how to pronounce. (laughs) And this is embarrassing to admit, but I thought, you know, who is this guy? Like, he he must have been like a, a medieval theologian or something. Maybe he was part of the Protestant Reformation or something. All this gray stuff, you know. This is so good. I in fact I even quoted you a few times. I put some different things out and I was thinking, I've got to look this guy up. Is you know, when did he die? You know, when what what year did he die? How come I've never come across him in other writings? And then I I Google you, you know, you come up on Wikipedia, I'm like, the dude's in Florida. He's alive. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so he's he's not in quoting him. <laughs> quoting me became that much less impressive for you. Yeah, like, that's all right. I thought I was yeah. quoting this scholar that's from right. medieval church that's history. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> so uh, that is yeah. so funny, man. Yeah. So then I found out, hey, man, he's alive and well today. So we start getting your. That is funny, man. Well, <laughs> now I, I, I you may know this. Uh, you probably do, but. Uh, I was named after an early church father. My mother was studying Tertullian right. when she was pregnant with me. Wow. And she was so captivated by this guy's defense of the gospel that she prayed and said, Lord, if this child growing in my womb happens to be a boy, wow. I want him to be just like Tertullian. So wow. out I came, <laughs> a boy, and she named me, and rumor has it, this is my full name, uh, that for the first two days, my full name was William Graham Tertullian Chivijan. Uh, thankfully, she dropped the tur after right. the drugs wore off. Right. Uh, so I wasn't stuck with Tertullian Chivijan, just yeah. Tullian. But yeah, it does sound uh, much more exotic uh, and impressive than it actually is. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, I was actually glad. It, it took me a moment to go, okay, how in the world did I miss this guy? And uh, <laughs> so then funny. I started reading and listening and it was, it was great. So, That's Hey, so look, funny. I, I want to jump into just uh, some questions and you can uh, let me kind of get your thoughts and also help our audience. Cause by the way, those of you who are listening and you're not familiar with Tully and um, go get every book he's written and, and read every single book. Uh, you need to slowly work your way through his materials. We're going to get into uh, some of the details of just a few books, maybe a little bit later into this interview. But please, uh, you you need to find out what what Tullian brings to the body of Christ and how he is just uh, 
uh, rich when it comes to God's grace and mercy and compassion and love and restoration. And you, you cannot listen to one of Tullian's messages or read any of his books and walk away the same. I promise you, you will be encouraged. You you will be lifted. Uh, you will have hope again. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that I just think Tullian brings uh, into my life and into everybody else's life. So I just want to say that at the very beginning, in case someone clicks off this podcast and they don't hear all of it, uh, just go buy his books, listen to his messages, and, and watch what God does in your life. So mm-hmm. anyway, want to get that in there first. Hey, thank you about, for saying no, that. You're, you're Scott, welcome. That's man. very, very encouraging. No, no, man, you're, you're welcome. That's just a, the touch the surface. It really mm-hmm. is. You're, you're a blessing to all of us. Hey, about, about two years ago, I believe it was, you started Sanctuary Church. In, in in Jupiter, Florida, correct? That's about right. two years ago. Yeah, okay. about two years and, ago. Yep. And about half of that time, we've been in the pandemic. Yes. So so <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. What was yeah. that like? You, you, you get moving and then all of a sudden something that none of us could possibly predict happened. Yeah. So what, it, what's that look like for you? Man, we're still, I think, trying to answer that question. What does yeah. that shutdown time look like for us yeah. even now going forward? But yeah, we started the sanctuary uh, in Jupiter, Florida. I'm from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale area, which is about 45 minutes south of where we live in Jupiter. My wife, Stacy, is from Texas. Uh, we moved here uh, at the request of a group of people who were interested in starting a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so uh, originally, the group of people that, that called us were coming from another church that had undergone some massive leadership changes. And that uh, church splintered into a few different places and in a few different directions. And one of those groups who wanted to stay together uh, reached out to me. There was one person in that group who had known me since I was in middle school. Uh, and so she, I, we were friends with her and her family. So she reached out to Stacy and me and said, this is what's going on. Uh, I represent a group of people who would be interested in talking to you guys about moving to Jupiter to start a church. We were living in Fort Myers, Florida at the time, which is on the Southwest coast. Jupiter's on the Southeast coast of Florida. Um, and so just about a two hour drive. So we made a few trips back and forth to meet with this group of people. Um, ironically, they didn't know who I was. It's not like they were calling me because they had read my books or listened to my sermons or anything like that. For the most part, they did not know who I was. There were a few people who did, um, but their, their motivation was really just to be together. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be separated and they knew they couldn't continue going to the church where they had been for so many years. And so that's the group of people that initially helped start the sanctuary. We were rolling about six months into this thing, um, and uh, there were some great things happening, uh, and the church was really developing quite rapidly when uh, everything shut down. And initially, like a lot of people, we thought it would be shut down for two weeks or so. We were meeting in a high school auditorium, and so all of the schools shut down. We didn't even have an option to meet. Uh, even if there had been an option to meet, we didn't We didn't have one because we didn't have yeah. a place that we could go. We didn't have our own space, our own building. And so we thought it would be about two weeks. Well, obviously, we found out with the rest of the world that it was going to be much longer than two weeks. And two weeks turned into two months and two months turned into yeah. four months. And uh, we were actually shut down for eight months before we reopened. Yeah. Um, and we had only been at church for six months. So we right. were shut down longer than we had been in existence. And because we didn't have uh, a place to go, um, a lot of my friends who had their own churches and had to go exclusively online, they were able to just go to their building and their media right. team would kind of film them from behind the pulpit. Sometimes their, you know, their worship team would lead worship and they would get up and preach. It was business as usual with just nobody in the room. But they were able to do it online. We didn't have that option. So we didn't have a media team. Uh, We didn't have a building. We didn't have all those resources. And so we were forced, Stacy and I were forced to set up shop in our living room. Uh, And so we, every Sunday morning, sort of put together this makeshift studio with a couple of laptops and uh, a couple of, you know, iPhones. And we we, uh, went 
uh, we did Instagram Live and Facebook Live from my Facebook page, from the Sanctuary Facebook page. Um, and it was, I'm talking uh, as bare bones as you can get, really. Um, I mean, we didn't have high production quality. The, the sound wasn't good. You know, the audio wasn't good. The video wasn't good. It was really raw. Um, and it was Stacy and I sitting at our, at, uh, our kitchen table that we had moved to our living room. Um, and you know, it was more or less like a talk show almost. Yeah. I mean, it was unrehearsed. It was completely unscripted. I went into each week knowing generally what I wanted to say about a particular passage in the Bible but I would only talk about that for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And then Stacy and I would discuss it and we would end up discussing a bunch of other things that might right. come to mind. Um, well, surprisingly, people loved it. Mm. I think they loved it because it was so unrehearsed and because right. it was so bare bones, right. um, because it was so non-produced. Um, and so uh, we saw, you know, viewership just skyrocket. Uh, and we were, I was so taken aback. I'm like, man, in my former life, uh, when I had all the production resources, right. the team and the, all that stuff, I'm like, we would spend hours, my, I would add whole teams that would spend hours working on the post-production of these videos. And I'm like, this is nothing. I mean, this is just two people who don't know what we're doing in front of a couple of devices. Uh, and, you know, it's off center. I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. so bad. All of it was so bad. Um, and people really, really loved it. They That's loved great. coming into our living room every week. Yeah, they I remember loved... watching some of those. They were great. Yeah. I and they it. really liked the back and forth between yeah. Stacy and I. Uh, you know, we what what they saw on Sunday mornings was who we are together right. when nobody's right. looking. It um, probably gave an opportunity for your wife to get in front of the camera a lot more that yeah. way and get the it, people yeah, to know did. you and her and your interaction with each other and, and all I think of that. It, so much pe- more. Yeah, oh, big time. And I think yeah. to the people that tuned in, they really saw that her and I are partners. Right. That she's not just sort of, um, you know, my co-pilot. Um, right. And she's a real partner to me in the work that God has called us both to do. Um, and so while that shutdown was happening and we were doing everything exclusively online, um, a building became available to mm. us, uh, not to buy, but to lease. Uh, it needed some renovation, um, but uh, there was a guy on our board uh, who owned this uh, boutique mall, like outdoor mall type place. And one of the places that had previously been occupied by a church was now vacant. And so he came to us and said, is this something you, is this something that, you know, we want to do for the church? And I said, I don't know if we can afford it. And he said, I'll help make it affordable, um, which he did, but it took roughly five or six months to get that place ready. So we could have opened, we could have reopened before we did if we had had space. In other words, there was nothing in the South Florida area that was telling us we couldn't meet. Um, So part of the reason why we were shut down for eight months was not the pandemic. Part of the reason why we were shut down for eight months is because we didn't have a place to meet until our space was ready because schools still weren't open. So we couldn't go back to the high school. Yeah. So we reopened um, two weeks uh, from now will be one year ago that we reopened. And what's interesting about that is we reopened a completely different church than when we shut down. I mean, even in terms of the congregation, um, there were some people who, because we took longer to reopen than every other church in town, there were some people who, you know, went visited other churches during that time and ended up staying. There were some people who moved away during that time. We actually had a few people die during that time, just older people in our church for various reasons. Um, And so, uh, but when, but because we had done what we did online, we ended up getting a whole new demographic of people. Hmm. So I looked out on that first Sunday, expecting to see everybody that I had seen the last time our church was open. And maybe a third of those people were there, but two thirds of the congregation were completely different people, new people. Um, And so I tell people regularly now that uh, I've really, Stacy and I have really planted two churches in Jupiter, not one. The name of the church is the same, the sanctuary, but the makeup of the church is completely different. The vision of the church is the same. The mission of the church is the same. The ministry and message of the church is the same but the people are different. Um, 
And so it's been it's been a wild ride. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm sure this is probably true for you. I know it's true for a lot of other people. Um, we're still trying to figure out yep. the long term effect of being shut down that long has had. I think for a lot of people, um, it's sort of uh, for better or for worse, redefined what church is, redefined what going to church looks like. Um, We were talking about it today at our staff meeting, but there are so many blessed benefits that go along with being able to go virtual and go online. I mean, you can reach people. We reach people from other parts of the world every Sunday because we can do that. But the the unintended consequence of that is it's, I think, uh, caused some people to rethink what going to church actually is. And it's very convenient um, to just watch from your couch or to watch from bed um, and think you're getting what you need to get when in actuality, I know when that's been true for me in those seasons of life where I just have been disconnected from the local church, uh, there is so much that you miss out on by not being there in person so much uh, face-to-face life-on-life community that is missed. And so we were, we've been wrestling with what does it look like? What do we do? What do we say? How do we encourage people without making them feel like, you know, God doesn't love them if they don't go to church? I I don't, we're, we're wrestling with all that stuff. We're in the exact same place. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the exact same place. We had a meeting last night with our directional team and we sat around the table for about an hour and a half and talked about some of the very same things you're talking about here. And that's, you know, look, you know, virtual uh, connection is here to stay, Uh, you know, standing out in the middle of the street and, you know, cursing it's not going to change it right and uh people are connecting more and more online but the question is how do you connect with them how do you know they're there how do you take any kind of attendance how do you meet their needs how do you help them connect with one another right um you know how part of what i think you know the the beauty of the church is that you're rubbing shoulders with people who are different than you that's you know you've got wealthy people sitting with poor people and poor people sitting with wealthy people and black and white and hispanic how do you do that when it's you know only online yeah how do you get people to you know get in 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 the same space together in yeah. that sacred moment and and worship so hey we're all in the same yeah. place trying to figure it out and it's a it's a new world yeah i was talking to uh, i believe it was uh todd bolsinger he's a, mm. a professor at fuller yeah and uh man he said something that just you know it, it hit me hard he said that we many of us pastors have been or christian leaders have been perfectly trained for a world that no longer exists yes that's and exactly we, right. we've got all these skills and we learned a lot of things and we're yeah. trying to, to do some things that unfortunately it's just a different world today. Yeah. So we're all kind of, you know, it's just a, it's a new day. And we're it is to a new out. day. And yeah. you know, I don't know, I'd love to sort of pick your brain on this, but one of the things that I find myself discussing with people in general, as it pertains to church is Regardless of whether we're talking in person or online, uh, the more increasingly secular our culture yep. becomes, yep. Um, you know, I, it, it, I'm finding it uh, increasingly difficult to convince people that this is important. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly right. um, yeah. and so it's not that you know maybe 20 years ago during the height of the church growth movement, the question was. You know, how do we offer everything that people need under one roof? And, you know, the first person to the finish line has the biggest church, you know, whatever. Um, I I think it's it's not whether or not you're offering something that another church isn't offering or whatever, how crass all that is. I just think most people are kind of like, this is totally irrelevant. And what's ironic to me is I think we are kind of um, in some sense – we are reaping what was sown in previous generations, which is to try and make the church uh, everything that the world is. All the offerings, by playing into that consumerism, what ended up happening was now we've got a group of consumers that no longer see any need for the product that's been produced. Exactly right. And so we're like, gosh, we've trained them to be consumers and yep. now they don't want to consume us anymore. Now what That's do we right. do? That's exactly um, right. 
So it's 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 it is challenging. I think these are incredibly challenging times uh, for pastors and church leaders uh, who have been doing what they've been doing for a period of time and waking up and realizing this doesn't work anymore. And one of the I think silver linings of COVID was. I think it did force people to rethink a lot of things and to rethink what's important, what's not. Uh, Have we been building what we consider church to be on a faulty foundation? Um, Is this even primarily about God anymore? Or is it about our own survival? Uh, Is this about the gospel anymore? Or is this about marketing? I mean, it's just... Yeah, these are the it's great tough. questions. These yeah, are the questions, questions we we need to be wrestling with. We do. And it's Absolutely. it's not about just getting more people in the room. Right. And you know, we've been there, done that. It it did not change the whole world. That's and, right. Uh, we yeah. we really need to be asking some questions. Some of the latest stats out that really concern me is that in in the U.S., the average uh, consistent church attender today attends church twelve times a year. Yeah. And and that is the average consistent church attender. Right. So yeah. so the average American Christian, North American Christian, hears yeah. about seven and a half hours of sermons per year. Yeah. Right. So that means that they're consuming more of their, you know, news broadcasts, yeah. DJs in the morning, talk shows. They're consuming more of that in a couple of weeks than yeah. they are you or me in an entire year. In a year. Yeah. 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 So we we better have something to say when we talk. Yeah, when that's right. when they are there, yeah, and uh, yeah, we're we're competing with a with a, an entirely different uh, you know yeah. uh, consumeristic mindset today than yeah. ever. So yeah, I totally agree. It is it's really really challenging, and um, you know it's forcing. I think a lot of the guys that reach out to me, uh, pastors from around the country and around the yeah. world, as they a lot of people we know churches have shut down, yeah, um, yeah. or they've decided to close their churches. Um, we've, we've watched a lot of pastors, both locally, nationally, and globally resign from the pastorate, uh, in the last year and a half. Um, it's an incredibly challenging time. Uh, but it's, it's, it can force some really deep questions personally and existentially about identity, our worth, our value, Um, you know, I mean, some of these things, when we watch some of these things that we have unwittingly built our identity on begin to unravel, we undergo an identity crisis and we start going, my gosh, who am I if I'm not the leader of this church? Or what is my value to this world if no one's listening to me preach a sermon anymore or, or lead a staff or, I mean, these are, you know, these are deeply human questions. And and I often think we pastors do not want to admit it because it seems it's a little embarrassing to say that we seem that fragile or we seem that thin, but that's just reality. That's the way it is. Yeah. And And we've spent, I've spent 20 years of my life in this one location and five or six other years beyond that. So it's nearly 30 years of my life. I've been standing in front of people, teaching, leading, directing, guiding, giving wisdom. And then when people choose not even to listen anymore and they don't show up or they don't seem to care, or they put you on the same plane as anybody else who seems to have advice in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, yeah, it can have an identity crisis and you can <laughs> you, go, you know, am I worth me. anything anymore? Yeah. You know, so anyway, it's, it's, it's an interesting world and we're yeah. all trying to, to learn as much as we can. Personally, I feel, you know, a little silver lining, I, I guess, in the middle of all that is that it's, it's in these moments where we began to ask questions we've never asked. Right. And we begin to get some answers we've never had before. Yeah. And it's the innovators who arise in, yeah. in this crisis moment. It's those, yeah. it's the people, unfortunately, who get criticized today who will be learning from tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's it's an opportunity for us to learn some new new ways and, uh, you know, check ourselves and start saying, yeah. hey, yeah, I think we've been, we've we've had our focus on the wrong wrong thing and it's yeah. time to get it back in, in line. Hey, I'd, I'd love a little bit of your, your thoughts on, uh, I guess, what's been kind of coined the deconstruction movement. So many people you know, deconstructing from Christianity, uh, casting, especially among some of the younger generation, college age, high school kids. I see it a lot. And they're just kind of throwing the whole thing off and saying it's not there. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yes, very what, much. What I've are, had, I've what had some friends of your thoughts defect. On that. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. What 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 are some thoughts on what what do you think is going on with that? What's happening? Oh man. Well, I mean, on the you know, it, it, the most obvious answer is that you know, since the Garden of Eden, yeah, we have wanted to be our own god. Yeah. And uh, we stand on an endless catalog of God replacements on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, we, we talk about our thirst for autonomy and independence, uh, at the, which is sort of at the root of our fallenness and our brokenness. Um, that's obviously something that is true universally about every human being. Um, at the same time... Um, I talked to some of my friends who have now rejected Christianity or at the very least question the validity of the Christian faith. And Scott, in almost every case that I'm personally acquainted with, Mm -hmm. um, what that person is rejecting is no different than what I reject. (laughs) In other words, um, Somewhere along the way, they were either taught or they came to believe. And this teaching is all over the place. So it's understandable that they would get hit by this at some level. I know that I was for many years hit by this at some level. Growing up in church, growing up in Christian schools, growing up in youth group and Sunday school and all that stuff. You really do in one way, shape or form, even though the teacher or the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, youth leader may not say this explicitly, if you grew up in or around church, you almost you, you grew up with at least the impression it was at the very least implied that the focus of the Christian faith is the life of the Christian. And so it's all about me and what I do. Christianity is not primarily about God's work for me. It's about my work for God. It's not about um God, you know, Christ's obedience for me. It is my obedience for him. It's a do more, try harder, get better or else morality system. And it's been it's been sold to us as the Christian faith. Um, Well, that in every case I'm acquainted with is what these friends of mine have walked away from for the most part. Uh, They might articulate it a little bit differently than I just did. But for the most part, they are rejecting a version of the Christian faith, which is unchristian all the way, in my opinion, which basically puts us, puts us at the center in this sense that God's disposition toward me, God's acceptance of me, God's love uh, for me is ultimately dependent on what I do, not what Jesus has done for me. It's ultimately dependent on my performance for God rather than God's performance for me. Um, and so, in all honesty, I think the people who have walked away or defected, they're walking away from a version of the Christian faith that is just flat out exhausting and unsustainable. Right. I mean, if, if, if God's disposition toward me is in any way dependent on me, what I do right. or fail to do, then I'm screwed. I mean, I may as well just exit stage left because I don't have a hope in this world or the next, um, if that's the case. And so, you know, when, when moralism is preached rather than the gospel, moralism is good advice and good life lessons in order to ensure that you have your best life now, right. uh, and maybe impress God and others along the way. And that, that's moralism. The gospel is cheer up. You're a lot worse off than you think you are. But God's grace is infinitely greater than anything you could ever ask for or imagine. And that there is nothing that you can do or fail to do that will ever tempt God to leave you or forsake you because God's love for you is in no way dependent on you. It's dependent exclusively on what Jesus has done for you. When that's the message, geez, man, like I I don't, that's what's missing because I go, that's the only message worth preaching I know it's what I need on a daily basis. I mean, just just connecting this part of our conversation with the last part of our conversation. Yeah. It's been interesting. I told our staff today, a lot of our current struggles with what to do with church has forced 
me to see some things inside of me that are disturbing and disrupting. And it's, it's, it has exposed pockets of unbelief in my own heart because I find myself becoming anxious. I find myself becoming scared, fearful. What happens if the sanctuary doesn't make it? What happened if, what happens to me if the work I've devoted my life to is now seemingly irrelevant in today's day and age? Like what, who am I without this stuff? Um, And the only answer to that is the gospel, that who I am, my core identity, who I ultimately am, has absolutely nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my past, my present. Uh, It has nothing to do with what I've accomplished or what I failed to accomplish, who my family is or isn't. Um, the way I look or don't look, uh, it has nothing to do with that stuff. Who I truly am has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for me. I mean, that's, that's when good you're, news. it's really good news. It's the only, I mean, it's the best news because yeah. now I just go, man, I don't, my value and my significance and my identity and my worth and my security, um, and my validation is ultimately not dependent on what I do or don't do. It's ultimately dependent on what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. Well, that's a game changer. That yeah. oh, That's the good news that this world is dying to hear because everywhere else in our world, what people are hearing is just do it. Just yeah. do it in a thousand different ways. And I had a friend of mine, this young college friend of mine who went to Vanderbilt uh, in Tennessee, this is probably six or seven years ago now. And he emailed me, he was a freshman in college and he emailed me and said, you know, pastor Tullian, uh, can you recommend any good churches in this area? And so I recommended to him a few churches that I was familiar with. Um, and he said, I've already tried those. Do you have any others? <laughs> and I said to him, well, tell me what's going on. What, what are you looking for? And he said, telling, he was an athlete um, at Vanderbilt. Uh, he was an amazing student. Um, he also worked, had a job. Um, and he said, Tullian, my entire life, everywhere I go from my teachers to my boss at work, to my coaches, to society in general is telling me in a thousand different ways, do more, try harder. I'm exhausted. I need to find one place where I can go for one hour a week to simply be reminded that it is finished. That's yeah, it. It's good. And I'm, this was coming from a college student, which is a microcosm. His comments are a microcosm of what our world in general feels like. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, someone asked me not long ago, what in your opinion is countercultural preaching? And I said, countercultural preaching is preaching. It is finished in a just do it world. That's what it is. Um, and I just, you know, I think that's what's missing. And so the, the, the Christianity that I think is being rejected by people en masse is really not Christianity. Um, it is a form of unsustainable moralism that these people are at least honest enough to now admit I can't yeah. do. You know, one of, one of the struggles I have, and maybe you can speak into a little bit of this, is, you know, in, in the past, years ago, you know, I would, I would see a variety of different styles of, of preaching, and, you know, some would be a little bit more on the do more, you know, try harder, um, you know, spectrum, I guess, and then others would be a little bit more grace-centered. And often I would just say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a different style, it's a little different version, maybe some people you know, emphasize certain parts of, mm-hmm. of the, of the gospel, maybe more than others do the older, you know, I've, I've gotten maybe a little bit more experienced. There are times that I listen to a, a message from my, it could be a popular church or, you know, a very mm-hmm. well respected church, uh, or, you know, maybe not, maybe it's just a smaller church or whatever. And I hear the message and I, I no longer have a sense that it's just, a slightly different version, or right. it's a little different emphasis on one particular area of the gospel than another. There's a part of me sometimes that goes, I don't even believe in that God. That's right. That they're preaching. That's exactly like, right. Like that, that is not just a different style. That's an entirely different deity. Yeah. 
And, and I struggle with that because I, I you know, I almost want to just stand up and just go, this is not God. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what it is you're, you're presenting because I do believe that our preaching comes out of our perspective, how we mm. see God. Mm. It's how we talk about him, mm-hmm. you know, how we imagine him to be, how we've come to understand him to be. So all of the try harder, do better, work more, you know, it, it's all dependent on you is actually coming out of a different God than Jesus yeah is than who he is. There's no question. And you've nailed it, Scott. I mean, it really isn't a different emphasis. It's a completely different message. And, and, and I, you know, and I'm not pointing any fingers to any person in particular. I just know that it's out there. And a lot of the people who are preaching that don't realize that it's not like they, they are looking at two options. I can either preach it is finished or I can preach, or I can preach, just do it. Right. I'm going to choose just do it over it is. I don't even think it's conscious. I just think we have for so long breathed the air of this conditional world. We were born into it. We've been reared by it. We've been breathing the air of it for so long that conditionality is our default mode. I mean, it's yeah. so much of so much of what passes as preaching today is more karmic than it is Christian. I mean, it really yes. is. It's yes. kind of like, listen, I mean, I, and I, I I test this theory of mine by doing research and I present some of this to our church uh, on a regular basis, you know, where I'm saying, okay, now most of what you're getting out there from the, from the advertisements that are on television to the, your workplace, to how you feel in your own home, whatever, the message that is coming to you loudly and clearly from every angle is do more, try harder, get better or else. It may, I mean, it's coming in a variety of different ways. Every ad, every car commercial on television is selling you salvation. If you can achieve it every, I mean, it literally it's all over. Instagram is a, self-salvation uh, a manufacturing company. I mean, we are constantly editing our profiles and putting our best foot forward and creating uh, creating identities that we want people to think we are. I mean, it's just yep. all of that is an attempt to save ourselves from meaninglessness, from, uh, you know, a lack of security, whatever the case may be. And so we're, we're standing on all of these... Uh, like I said earlier, God replacements, this endless catalog of God replacements. Um, and because that's the air we've been breathing, the church oftentimes just kind of mimics that. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of like... And we, uh, we try to throw in a little good news here and there to right. kind of make it sound Christian, make it sound like Jesus a little bit. But Well, it's and not. you know, I mean, I grew up, you, I think you did too, but I mean, I kind of grew up where I believed wholeheartedly, based on what was presented to me, that the gospel was not for Christians, the gospel right. was yeah. what non-Christians needed to believe in right. order to right. become Christians. Yeah. But that once God saves you, he doesn't then, he, he then moves you beyond the gospel. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, he doesn't move us beyond the gospel. He moves us more deeply into the gospel. And so, you know, it was kind of like the preaching that I heard growing up for the most part uh, was, you know, here are, here are some lessons on how to live your life in a way that pleases God. And that part's for the Christian. And now we've come to the end of the sermon. And now I'm going to make an appeal to any non-Christians that are in the room. And I'm going to tell you about Jesus and what he's done for sinners and ask you to invite him into your heart or to come forward or raise a hand or whatever. So just by sitting in there, no one had to tell me the gospel was just for non-Christians. But by sitting in there week after week, I just concluded the gospel was for non-Christians. Yeah. The only time Jesus would ever show up in a sermon is when an appeal was being made at the end to non-Christians. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah the so, way that I understood it was that basically in you're in a non-Christian state, the law is going to judge you. You can't keep the law. The law is going to judge you. Come to Christ. He'll save you for free. Yeah. Now you have the power to keep the law. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. The rest, so the rest yeah. of your life, now you have Jesus in you and he'll help you keep the law now. Right. So now you've got the Holy Spirit in you and he gives you power to do what? To keep right. the law. Yeah. So now you just, you're back. You just kind of 
pass right. through Jesus a little bit. Yeah. But now you're over here trying your absolute best to do everything that you couldn't do before. And it's right. just, you know, it's, it's kind miserable. of like, it's kind of the, one of the ways that I put it sometimes is uh, the way I grew up understanding Christianity was it took God's blood, sweat and tears to get me in. But now it takes my blood, sweat, yeah, exactly and tears to right. keep me in. That's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just a uh, sort of a crass way of summarizing the yeah. moralistic message. But but that's really what it is. And so. So you um, think that has just it, we, we, we were so immersed in that. It's yes. soaked into our very culture that many of the people who are just going, I'm done with it. I'm finished with it. It's actually coming out of just the, the number one confusion over what the gospel is yeah. Two, just an exasperation. I of think the so. try harder, do more. And they're going, I'm done. I'm right. done with it. I'm, I can I'm get the same thing. I can right. get some of the same thing on Ted talks. I can get some of the same thing, you know, through a talk show or whatever, a yeah. pop psychology book will give me just as much advice as right. the ch- local church has given me. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. think that's true. I, to go back in history a little bit, uh, Martin Luther, my historical hero, um, yeah. he, he, uh, described the difference between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. And yeah. when he articulated what a theology of glory was, it wasn't a theology of God's glory. It was a theology of my glory. Uh, a theology of glory uh, is symbolized by a ladder that we climb uh, and that the the closer, the harder we climb and the higher we go, the more, the closer to God we, we become. Uh, whereas a theology of the cross uh, is not about my work for God. It's about God's work for me. It's not about my performance for God, but God's performance for me. And rather than it being symbolized by a ladder, it's symbolized by a cross. So um, in what I say that by way of saying this, that uh, a theology of glory is the foundation on which all things that are considered Christian in our current day have been built. So songs are about me. Sermons are about me. It's the focus of the Christian faith is the life of the Christian. It's all about how I live, what I do, what I don't do, the things I need to do, um, the disciplines I need to have. It's just, it's what I call spiritualized navel gazing. Um, And so because of that, I go, it's not just that this is the message that's been coming because we've been immersed in it. We've institutionalized this message. Our very churches depend on a theology of glory in order to succeed. So I'm like, man, this is what makes the work that we're doing even more difficult in this sort of post-pandemic age. It's not just that people are rethinking church. It's that at one level, people crave being told what to do. Because it gives them a sense. We're addicted to it. We are addicted to it it because it gives us a false sense of security. If you, Scott, if you tell me, if you preach a sermon on five ways to have a good marriage, all I have to do is master the five things you've put before me and I can have a good marriage. I don't even need God. You don't even need to tell me about my desperation and Christ's daily deliverance. I don't, I just need, I need pointers on how to live. I need you to give me some pointers on what I need to do with my life. Um, so and the thing is, Tully, and we're, we pastors, we local pastors are never going to be able to outcompete the talk shows nope. that have the five points, the psychologists that have spent their entire life working on relationships. We're never going to be able to outperform, outcommunicate. And that's not even our goal anyway. We're no. supposed to be gospel dispensers. We're right, not supposed right. to be these, you know, pop life uh, help right. hack, almost right. like a life hack. Like know? a life like a yeah. life coach. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, that's not. We're never going to compete no. with that. And I think our generation today, are, they're just tired of that. And I think, I think so too. You know, I think when people are coming into our churches today, those who are not churched, you know, maybe didn't grow up or maybe they did grow up in a church that just burned them out and they quit and they're coming back. Maybe somebody invited them. They're walking into our church going, please tell me there is something different yes. than everywhere else in Man, my world. My daughter. And, if, and if, if I hear that there's basically nothing different in this building yeah. than there is in what I heard at school or I heard in my college professor say that I'm out of here because right. I don't have time on Sunday morning to get up and get dressed and drive over here for basically the exact same thing I'm hearing five other days of the week. Man, that So they want something different. Dude, listen, you, okay. So um, back to the illustration of my college buddy uh, yeah. in his freshman year of school. 
saying everywhere I go, I'm getting just do it. I need an hour a week right here. Yep. It is finished. I was sharing with my daughter, my 20 year old daughter, Jenna, who lives with us. Um, we were talking about this the other day. She showed me a clip of some, a preacher. I don't, I don't know who it was. I can't remember who it was. But I mean, this person was trying way too hard to be cool and yeah. to sort of uh, fit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, Dad, this doesn't sit. And she's a hip, cool, you know, 20 year old. Yeah. And she said, Dad, this just doesn't sit well with me, but I'm not sure why. Can we talk about it? So we did. And I told her a story about me. I was I was a hellion. I mean, I, God didn't save me until I was 21 years old. I dropped out of high school at 16, got kicked out of my house at 16, lived like a maniac, a maniac for years. Um, grew up just, you know, in Fort Lauderdale, which is not far from Miami. So I spent my weekends in South Beach and uh, and all that South Beach had South Beach had to offer, I drank deeply from that well. Well, it got to the point after five or six years of living that way that I was just I was tired. I was like, man, there's, there's gotta be more to life than this. And I can remember getting home one night from a late night in South beach, passing out on my bed in my apartment in South Florida. I was 20 years old at the time, um, passing out. No, I just turned 21, uh, passed out on my bed, woke up the next morning at about nine 15, still in my clothes that I'd worn out the night before realized it was Sunday morning. And realized that I could still make it to church. And I hadn't been to church in years. And my parents had just started going to this new church and they loved this pastor. Um, And so I got up, wet my hair down so it wasn't sticking up all over the place, brushed my teeth, did not change my clothes, ran out the door, got there a few minutes late, made my way up to the balcony, which were the only seats left, and just sat there. I, I can't tell you, Scott, what songs were sung. I can't even tell you everything the preacher said that morning. But here's what I experienced. There was something so tangibly transcendent and different about the music, the message, the vibe. Uh, if, If I had gone there that morning and that church had tried to give me something close to what I had experienced the night before, I would have left so terribly disappointed, frustrated, because I went there because I was tired of this and needed something totally different. Um, And then I told my daughter this. I said, Daddy Bill, my grandfather, um, I said, Daddy Bill was told by a Hollywood actor in the early 1950s, Billy, don't ever try to do Hollywood because Hollywood will always do it better than you. You give this world the one thing Hollywood can't, which is the gospel. Um, And you know, the truth of the matter is, Scott, the gospel has never been popular. The gospel preached in its purest form has produced persecution, and not persecution from people outside the church. It has almost always produced persecution from people inside the church. It was the religious people who came after Jesus. It was the religious people who came after Paul. It was the religious people who came after Martin Luther. And down throughout history, you can see when any time the church has been forced or a leader has been uh, a leader has been raised up by God to sort of get back to preaching the gospel in its purest power and form, uh, it is almost universally rejected. By the church. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the people outside the church that hear good news. But the people inside the church have been accustomed to wanting good advice rather than good news. And I said yesterday to our people, I'm preaching through Jonah right now and loving it. And I said, what's so interesting about chapter three is that the bad guys in the story, the king of Nineveh and the Ninevites, the bad guys respond to God rightly. And the good guy, the moral guy, the church-going guy, the religious guy, Jonah, responds to God wrongly. Their response of acknowledging their guilt, acknowledging their their sin, acknowledging their desperation, acknowledging their idolatry, that is is the sacrifice of praise that God receives with joy. Um, And it's the good guy, the person who thinks they're good. And I said to our people yesterday— I said, you know, what's ironic is 
Um, what keeps us from knowing God is not the badness that we know we have. It's the goodness that we think we have mm. that keeps us from knowing God. That's good. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's true. So there is a lot of, I'm finding, even with my own story, I crashed and burned bad six years ago, almost seven years ago now, and lost everything as a result of my own sin and selfishness, which you and I have talked about at length yep. before. Um, but, uh, you know, it has... Um, I have felt a really strong calling to be brutally and uncomfortably honest about my own sin and about my own brokenness and my own desperation. And man, I'm telling you, it makes certain people inside the church uncomfortable, but people outside the church flock to it. They're like, okay, that is the kind of authentic realism I'm dying for. And I don't like doing it. I mean, it sucks to stand up in front of a group of people and say, my first marriage ended in divorce in part because I cheated on my first wife and I was a pastor at the time. That sucks to say that in front of people. I I can't stand it. It's embarrassing. But I don't know of any other way to point people to the goodness of God without exposing my own badness. I just don't. Um, And, and it's, it's funny, the difference between how some inside the church people respond to that and how people outside the church respond to that. Yep. You're exactly right. I was going to mention about your, your current series on Jonah, Mm. Surprised by Grace. Yes. And, uh, how, how long will this series probably be? Just just working your way slowly through it and just. Well, um, yesterday was part nine and I finished (laughs) chapter three. So I only have one chapter to go. Um, so I probably would, about 20, about 20 parts. Yeah, 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 no, I, I think I can get chapter four. I'll probably get chapter four done in two sermons yeah. and then, um, uh, I'll do sort of a concluding wrap up, summarized wrap up sermon. Now you put, you put this more. in book form a few years ago called surprised by grace, correct? So this is, yes. Okay. What's so fascinating about this, Scott, is I had come back from summer and decided I was going to preach through Galatians. And then I got COVID and was knocked out cold for three weeks. I mean, knocked out cold. I'm like, man, this plague really, really nailed me. Well, during that time, I had so much downtime. I was going through old sermons and stuff. And I made uh, an executive decision that instead of preaching through Galatians, I was going to preach through Jonah. And part of the reason was, to be honest with you, in my weakened state of COVID, I thought, man, I I, kind of want to do a series that I've already done. So that I don't have, you know, I'm just tired and I can rework it. So it'll be fresh, but it'll be, I'll have material. Been there, done that. Yeah. Yes. Well, what I came to realize is that as I restudied Jonah for the first time in 10 years, it's not that I don't believe what I said in those previous sermons or that I don't believe what I wrote in that previous book. It's that I'm a different guy now than I was. And I'm preaching to a different audience and to a different world now than I was. Exactly. So none of those previous sermons have helped me at all. This is a completely different, I mean, it's, it's, I even have corrected some things to where I've had to say to our church, you know, 10 years ago when I preached this, I believe this, I don't anymore. I believe this in terms of a slight interpretation might have um, to revise the book a little. Have another. Yes, I, I think I'm going to have to rewrite the whole book. Um, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm That's loving great. it. I think I've got three sermons left in this series. Um, and all all of those messages are online for people. They're all online. We have yeah. Sanctuary has a YouTube channel, yeah. Spotify, Vimeo, my Facebook page, the Sanctuary Facebook page. Um, so yeah, they can. They're easy. That's to find. great. Yeah. Well, hey, let me let me begin to wrap this up by yeah. asking a question regarding some of your books for people okay. who might, you know, might not be familiar with you. You've written several books, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, One Way to Love, Glorious Ruin, Surprised by Grace, Unfashionable. Uh, here's my question. What, I, and you may not have a particular book you recommend first, but if someone was just beginning to kind of get into some of the, the messages and teachings and books that you've written, do you have one you would say, hey, start with this book? Here's without where question. I would recommend. Okay. Yes, without question. Right. Easy question to answer. Good. Um, one Way Love, mm-hmm. uh, which is a book that just got revised and republished okay. about okay. two months ago. Oh, it good. now comes, it was, I had, I revised it. Um, added a study guide to it, um, and it's been republished, and it's on Amazon. So this would be excellent for a, like a small group to work oh, their way through, uh, yes. or a book club, or something like that. It is. It is one way. Love uh, all the books I've ever written. Um, I look at and I go, okay, just like any musician who 
you know, they would probably look at various songs they sung and say, okay, if I were to do that song today, I would probably do it. I would say this a little bit different or I would change that note or whatever. Anytime you put your work out there for public consumption, you're running the risk of going in 10 years from now, I may want that to go out of print completely because I don't agree with any of it. Um, That is actually true for one of my books. Uh, which was the first book I wrote, which I, I was I was way too young to write a book, and I yeah. believe a very small portion of what I wrote in that book. Um, yeah. And and it's moderately true of a second book that I wrote. Um, but even from a stylistic standpoint, um, I would go back and change almost all of them at certain points, little here and little there. Not the essential message of most of them, but just little points, um, except for One Way Love. Even though I just revised it, I revised some things because my kids are older. Sure. Um, I got divorced in the, yeah. since I first wrote it and got remarried. Um, and so I had to revise some of that. It was not revised for content as much as just for yeah. some facts. Um, and it is my manifesto on grace. It is my deep dive into the unconditionality of God's love for us. Um, it is, in my opinion, the absolute basis and foundation of everything I believe um, about God and how God relates to us. The subtitle is um, Exhaustive gra- Oh my gosh. I'm going to forget my own subtitle in my book. Uh, it's sitting over there. Um, uh, ex- inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World. Yes, thank you. That's it. Yeah. Inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World uh, is the subtitle. Um, and so there's a lot of... Um, I diagnose all of us as being exhausted, whether we realize it or not, and then show how the radicality and the amazing nature of God's grace meets us at our yeah. deepest points of need. Um, that's awesome. And so that's well, the do, Hey, do you have a, a book kind of brewing in you now? Maybe something that you would love to be able to get out maybe in the next couple of years or anything? Uh, I go, I, I fluctuate. There yeah. are some weeks where I feel like, yes, there is, and I get an outline on paper. And I think to myself, that is the book I want. And then there are other parts of me that go, man, I've written seven books and yeah. I am worn out and I've got sermons to prepare every yeah. week. And I've got this church plan. How, how long does it take you to get a book out? Like, oh what man, is that it's process? a, it's a, it's a long process. Yeah. Well, it depends. Um, you know, it, uh, so one way love, for instance, started as a series of sermons that I preached, mm-hmm. but it ended up not being the series of sermons that I preached. Yeah. It started off that way. And so the initial idea for it and some of the content for it came from sermons. Yeah. But then you get into it and you get into the, you know, then I go back. So what I'll do is I'll sort of gather the sermons that I think will make up the book. I eventually look at them and go, some of this will work. Some of it won't. Right. Then I go back to articles I've written, interviews I've done, tweets, Facebook yeah. and blog posts, you name it. Um, parts of other sermons, I try to sort of gather all of the content that I've already done that I think hasn't been put out there, but I've got it that could work for this book. And then I start, you know, with help piecing some of that together with editorial help, piecing that together. And then once a sort of a working rough draft is there, then it's really, then it's time to go to work. Then it's a lot of cutting, pasting, rewriting, um, rearranging. Um, I'm I'm so particular about uh, grammar and sentence yeah. structure and turns of phrases, and I it's have exhausting. Very, it is, it is, <laughs> and so I'm. You know, it is. What's what makes writing so much harder than preaching for me is, um, I mean, I can talk as is demonstrated yeah. today for an hour. Without, and without really, you know, I don't have to really think about it. I can, if I'm, especially in a conversation like this, if I'm talking to someone that we're having a conversation, I mean, I can go on and on. Um, And you can screw up on a word or screw up on an idea or screw up. Nobody cares. Nobody cares because you just keep going. (laughs) With writing, they can go back to the previous sentence. (laughs) So, I mean, I am, I I am, my perfectionism comes out in my writing even more so than in my preaching. So it takes yeah. a long time. And then once the draft is done, it goes to the publisher yeah. and then it goes through another series of yeah. edits that you're going back and forth with. Um, and then from the time that final edits are done, then you've got to, you go out and you get uh, endorsers and you got to choose a cover and you know, there's <laughs> just choosing the cover takes a month because you're going yeah. back and forth. I like this. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, and then, so it's, it's exhausting, which is why, and I was writing a book a year for almost seven years. 
So sometimes I think, gosh, I really want to write my story. I do have a book title and a and an outline called Disgraced. And the subtitle is Good News for Those Who Have Failed. Yeah. Um, and it's my story of my own failure and how God's grace has met me in my darkest places. Um, the things that it exposed in me about me, um, and using my story as the running illustration that hopefully connects with other humans. Um, and there was a time when I was really gung ho about it and then it kind of gets put off to the side and then it comes back and then it kind of gets put off to the side. And, you know, sadly, uh, because of, um, because of my own story and my own fall, uh, the Christian publishing industry is reticent. They're scared. Um, if I had a publisher saying, Hey, we want you to write, we want you to write this book and we'll provide whatever help you need to get it done. That would be a different story. Um, but this is a situation in which I would have to write the book without any real publishing help on the front end. And then hopefully a publisher would pick it up. Um, well, I tell you what, right now your messages are, are food and encouragement and, they're great. So um, it's an honor to have you. It's a real honor. Thanks, Scott. Well, oh, I man. am grateful I, I for your friendship. And oh, um, you're welcome. I, it's, it's a privilege. You invited me to come and preach uh, at your church um, at a time when I wasn't getting a lot of invitations to speak because uh, of my own public fall years earlier. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, I shared this with you and I want all of your listeners to hear this too. I've shared this with you before, but when you're at the top, as I was before in my former life, it's difficult to know who your friends are because you have so much to offer. But when you're at the bottom and all you have to offer is liability and leprosy to people, uh, you you notice very quickly who's still there and who your friends are. So you have been a dear friend and a constant source of encouragement. And I oh, yeah. am forever indebted to you because of that. Well, so thank you. you. You are more than welcome. It was thank an honor you. to have you here. I hope uh, we certainly would have already had you back. Had we not had so much of the stuff with the pandemic I and know. cancellations and I know. everything else. So we I look know. forward to the day that you're able yes. to come back and, and be with us. And we just want to treat you well while you're here, be a friend to you, listen to you thank and you. Uh, promote, promote your material, your church. So if anybody in the, you know, again, uh, you know, pick up Tullian's books, uh, go to his YouTube channel, the Sanctuary Church in Jupiter, Florida, and get on the YouTube channel, subscribe to it, listen to yeah. the messages, uh, send him a thank you card, anything you can to encourage mm-hmm. he and Stacy. They're doing a fantastic job there and look forward to continuing to learn from you, being encouraged by you. And hopefully one day, you know, we can we can be a blessing to you through something we say or something we do. Because, yes, uh, you are. A, and you, are you have been and you are. Yeah, so thank well, you. That's what yeah, we want. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tolian. Thank Thanks, you so Scott. much. Thanks for having me.